Okay, I've read a few books on the Civil War. I guarantee you there's many of you out there who know a lot more about the Civil War than I do. But I do know this. It was just brutal and a terrible, terrible thing uh, as far as loss of life. 650,000 Americans lost their life, far outweighing any other war we've had. But out of that, a lot of positive things came. But here's one of the positive things that came after the Civil War. It's the passing of the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment covered a lot of things, but one of the things it did, it made sure that every single person who was born in the United States of America, who will ever be born in the United States of America, is a citizen. Despite their social status, despite their family background, despite the color of their skin or their ethnicity, every single human being born in the United States of America have, has full rights as citizens. So out of something negative came something positive. World War I is a war we often forget about, but it was also very, very brutal. I mean, the trench warfare, and it was such a devastating war to the psyche of America. So after World War I, there was something you may have heard of called the Roaring Twenties. That's when America partied for about a decade. I mean, it, it was a time of decadence, of just let's enjoy pleasure. And though there were some challenging things to that, the positive is the explosion of the arts, all types of music and, and the cinema. It, it kind of came and it emerged in all types of different forms of art. After World War II, a very short war, a war but an intense war. And you understand that that was Devastating in many ways, the introduction of the atomic bomb uh, just changed, changed humanity. But something really positive happened after that, especially for some people in this room right now, because there was something called the baby boom. And I think we have some baby boomers here. So, hey, that's good, right? I mean, we're enjoying this in this service right now. We know that out of World War II came some thing positive, and it might have been you. You might have been that positive thing coming out of the baby, the baby boomer generation. So we won't go through all of American history, though I would enjoy that. I don't think you would, not all of you at least. But fast forward to kind of our times, 2008, 2009, uh, some of us went through the Great Recession together. And we know that there was a housing boom, especially the way the housing market was structured, that it, was, it collapsed. And so because of that, um, building, the building of houses just stopped. I mean, just people quit building houses for about two years in America. And at the same time, the population started growing. I mean, the population, it was, it was growing. The millennials are actually a bigger generation than, um, than the baby boomers. And so they like, needed places to live and apartments to rent, but nothing was being built. And so because of that, your house is worth a lot of money right now, if you have one. And if you're trying to buy a house, sorry about that. I mean, it's not such good news for you. It's definitely a seller's market. Uh, but our, our, I remember hearing this prediction by an economist saying that you're going to see in the year, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, the largest increase in your house value you've ever seen, uh, simply because there was a shortage. So out of the collapse of the housing market now came high values in houses. So we are now coming out of the pandemic. We're not out of the pandemic yet, but we are on our way out. Come on, that's good news, isn't it? We're on our way out. In fact, about a year ago, 
Not, not this particular date, but this particular Sunday is when we stopped having church for a few weeks. And everyone made the best decisions with the information they had at the time, but may it never happen again. Man, I hope we can always have church. I, I almost said, we'll never, we'll never cancel church again. But then February came and that darn ice storm, man, like every other church, like their parking lots melted off. Like ours did not melt off at all. And so that was the right decision in February not to have church. But hey, as much as possible, we want to have, we want to have church. So I'm making a prediction and this isn't like a prophecy. It's just more following this line of reason that I just gave you that we're going to see towards the end of 2021 and in 2022, America's getting ready to party again. And there'll be some good things about that. And there'll be some bad things about that. But I mean, it's just logical, especially with some of us are getting cash showing up in our bank accounts and, and it's time to travel again. So we're ready to travel. We're ready to gather, we're ready to hug again. Some of, us, some of us are already doing that. You know, we're traveling, we're hugging, and, and it's not a right or wrong. You, you, you have to make that choice at your own pace. But, but we're going, we're entering into an, an interesting time. So get ready for that. Again, this is just me speaking out of my natural mind, not out of my spirit, man. You know, get ready. It's going to be an interesting few years ahead of us. And it will be interesting to see how we respond uh, to this pandemic. But the theory is this. The guess is this, out of death comes life, right? And, and all of these historical circumstances that I just uh, reminded you of remind us that when death comes and when something negative comes and when something hard comes, on the other side of that is opportunity. On the other side of that is life. And so that helps us as human beings. We, we step forward and we have hope because we know from our past, from humanity's past, that good things are ahead of us. And most of all, I mean, all of those things are just small, small little stories and the story uh, which all of the universe needs to discover. And that's the story of the resurrection. I mean, Jesus' death only means something because of his resurrection. And so the resurrection tells us that out of suffering and out of death and out of disappointment and out of loss, life is before us and life is ahead of us. So now we're in this series on Lent, Pastor Aubrey talked about called uh, grounding. And we want to we wanna look at places where we are grounded. So today's message is called Grounded in the Sacrificial Life. And all of God's people groaned inside. <laughs> You're right, we're like, yeah, grounded in the sacrificial life. Well, that doesn't sound very exciting. Hey, just be at ease. I'm not going to take up an offering or ask for pledge cards. We're not building a building yet. We got some empty seats, first service, second service. We got a lot of empty seats for now in our third service, the Spanish service, but that's going to change. So we're, we're moving towards four services someday. As, uh, see, that's one of the benefits of post-pandemic is people are going to want to come back in person again. They're going to want to come back. We're going to be ready for them. We're going to be ready for them. We got chairs to add. We got buildings to build. We have churches to plant. We have people that want to get saved. Oh man, I see a little bit of energy here. Some, some excitement's coming. So there's opportunity before us. So we are grounded in the sacrificial life. And this is going to be very important for you to see because this is actually going to bring benefit to you, even though the benefit of the sacrificial life is not the motivation for the sacrificial life. I'm going to share with you five exchanges today. So five exchanges where I'm going to, 
I'm gonna show you from the words of Jesus that you're gonna exchange, you're gonna give something and sacrifice something and you're gonna receive something back in the kingdom because that's what happens in the kingdom. Here's the first exchange. Through death comes life. Through death comes life. Did you just beat me to it, the media person, or were you just trying to help me? You're trying to move me along in the sermon. I look up and said, put it now. It was already up there. So my wife's running media today, so she has media rights to move my sermon along. So the text today is John chapter 12. That's the text. And we're going to look at the words of Jesus as he calls us to be grounded in a sacrificial life. Here's where we start, verse 23. Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So here you're like, this is, all, this is great. Jesus is about to step it up. Jesus is about, about to assert himself. Jesus is about to kick some tail and show this world what it's like when the Messiah is in charge. This is exciting, right? This is exciting. We're going we're gonna to win. We're going to take our place. I'm sure that's what I would have thought if I heard Jesus say, the hour has come for me to be glorified. Look at verse 24. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. So here it is. It is a word picture. Jesus gave a word picture. Those recipients were very familiar with, and we, we can imagine it pretty easily ourselves. When a, when a stalk of wheat falls, it breaks and it scatters. What looks like defeat what looks like the end and what looks like death actually brings a multiplication of life. When a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. So I want to talk to you about things that you've lost in your life and losses that you're dealing with now or losses that you remember because I want you to understand this is that every single one of us deals with loss and there's the big losses that we can all agree with. We, we lose something pertaining to our health. We lose a family member. Those are recognizable and everyone can kind of gather around those type of losses as we should. But there's other losses that, that are very, very painful that not everyone acknowledges. And so Something every one of us have in common is this, is that we have had the loss of a dream. There's been a dream in our heart and that dream has not come to pass. And I want you to, I want you to understand something that I understand. I mean, we're, we're just fellow sojourners here at this point. Man, when a dream dies, it hurts and it's painful. I know a lot of times we bury the pain we ignore the pain, we cope with the pain, we try to work around the pain. But if we're honest, when a dream dies, it's very, very painful to us. And then if you're like me, when I have a dream die, I don't want to talk about it. So it's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk it out. I don't want to think about it anymore. I don't want to have to explain to people what happened. I just kind of want to move on because we always want to move away from the pain. And that is sometimes the resilience that God gives us. So that's not a wrong thing to do. But I just want to say in this moment that the death of a dream is painful. And every single one of us 
have dealt with that. But here's what the scripture tells us here in John 12, 24. And then we know the whole story of resurrection is this, that after the death comes life. If the dream by itself is all that we know, but when the dream falls and it shatters or scatters, then that death, life is on the other side. And I just want to remind you of that today. That yes, your dream that is lost is painful and it does hurt and it is consequential. Like nobody maybe understand what you're going through. But Jesus gives us the promise that even when things die in our life, that he has something that we can't see yet. It may be bigger or it may be smaller, but it's gonna be better. How many know that Jesus' dream for our life is better, even if that dream is smaller? I've known people who have had impressive, impressive worldly success and they weren't happy. And then now they're living a simpler life and they had the fullness of joy in Jesus. I've known people who have lived sacrificial lives in anonymity. And then later on in their life, later on in the unexpected, when the dream was over, God gave them recognition and God gave them a sense of, of earthly power. And most of those men and women miss the simpler days. They miss the easier days because we are not people who live for worldly success. We live for God's approval. And so we have to trust that when our earthly dreams die, that's not the end. That's a chance for God to be more fruitful. Relationships, man, when relationships end, it's tough. And I, I hate relationships that have ended. That's one of the things that stinks about being a pastor. You know, just relationships just kind of end. You don't even find out until six months later. You're like, oh, that relationship's over. <laughs> They're no longer around. And you know what? It hurts, man. It hurts. And it hurts you too. It hurts you. I mean, I'm not special. It, it, it stinks when relationships end. I believe part of what the redemptive work of heaven's going to be is all of our relationships are going to be restored and all of the sin's going to be eliminated. There, the, all that sin that messed up our relationships are going to be in the sea of forgetfulness. And the relationships that we had here on earth will be restored. And then, of course, new relationships will be made uh, of, of God's people of all times and all places as we get to know each other. So the ending of relationships really, really hurt. A lot, a lot of times we, we emphasize like the big endings like divorce. And divorce is so devastating to every person it touches. But I think about, you know, our single adults. A lot of times single adults, a relationship doesn't work out and people are kind of like, hey, that's just, that's just part of being single. Well, not for the person. And, and you kind of have to shrug it off and be like, hey, you know, I'm just coping with it. I know from working with students, high school students and, and young adults in college that the ending of relationships hurt. And I remember the ending of some relationships that hurt. But what I've told people is this. I tell people this. This is my homespun counseling. Hey, anytime a relationship does not work out, you're just one person closer to the right one. Right? I know it still hurts when you hear that, but it helps, right? It'd be like a good country song. You're just one person closer to the right one today. I might write me a country song right here in front of everybody, huh? Yeah, you ready to put me on the Opry? All right. See, that's why I got you on the second row right there. So 
even though there is a natural process of elimination for most people, some of you married your first love and congratulations on that. But for some people, it's a process. And that process gets you closer to the right person. But there's pain in between. And each ending relationship, like, it stinks, man. It hurts. But the end of the death of that relationship means opportunity for God to bring new life and to bring you the right person. The end of a community. Sometimes our 242 groups, some of our groups just kind of putter out. Sometimes, often churches eventually will close down after 40 years or so. And that hurts, you know? I mean, some of you think about your childhood church and you're like, that was awesome, man. I love my childhood church, but you can't go back because that church actually doesn't exist anymore. The building may still be there, but it's different people and it's a different mission. And it kind of hurts. It's painful. We can feel as we age, like the end of an era. I just, you know, there's just been certain times where I'm like, hey, this era is over. And there's a marking point and it's over. And that can be painful. But as resurrection people, we understand that when a death comes, even though it's painful, the death of a dream, the death of a relationship, the death of a community, even though it's painful, Jesus is going to resurrect something better. Jesus is going to resurrect something fresh. Jesus is going to resurrect something that is good for you in this season and this time. And so thanks be to God for that. We know this is that death comes through sin. And so when we choose to sin or when we, we are impacted by other people's sin, there's a certain kind of death that comes into us. But here's the great thing about what we do when we go to Jesus, when we go to the Lord's table, when we engage in a worship song, when we go to the word of God, there is an exchange through that death, through that sin, through that transgression, through that either sin that we have chosen or that sin of omission. It's just a sin that happened because we're human. There is an exchange of the life of Jesus and the life that he has. And that's who we are here today. We are not just people making intellectual uh, agreement with the Lord, even though that is important. We're people that are having internal transformation. He is changing our nature. He is changing who we are. He is changing the conditions of our soul. There's a transformation. There is an exchange that instead of the death of sin, we have the infusion of the life of Jesus and the life of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said this, or actually David said this. David was a huge, impactful leader that just sinned in such a way that, that would be so, um, so disrespected. It is disrespected now, but even in, in our culture today. And he said these words, Psalm chapter 51, starting with verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, I love this phrase, blot out my rebellion. That's like, man, you know about it, but you're blotting it out so no one else does. Verse 2, completely wash away my guilt. Let me just give a commentary here. Do you know why David asked the Lord to wash away his guilt? Because he felt guilty. David felt guilty. So wash away my guilt, cleanse me from my sin, for I'm conscious of my rebellion. Like I know what I did, my sin's always before me. And I love verse four, because a lot of times we're sorry for our sin because we got caught. 
Are we sorry for our sin because of the consequences of our sin? But I hope that the Lord can help me to really live out verse four where, he, where David said, against you, you alone have I sinned and I've done this evil in your sight. Not, not, hey God, yeah, I'm sorry I got caught or I'm sorry that I'm losing my job or I'm losing my ministry position or God, I, I'm sorry that he knows about it or she knows about it. No, against you, Lord, have I sinned. And boy, that's the place that I want God to get me. I wanna be in that position. And I love this phrase. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. A lot of times our attitude towards God is like, God, come on, God, get in step with the times. Come on, God, be more reasonable, God. Let's change the definition of what God was really saying when he said this was a sin. Hey, that's not repentance, guys. Repentance is you are right when you pass judgment. Like you're right about what you call sin. And I'm not right about what I call sin because I'm gonna justify all kinds of stuff because I enjoy it. But you are right when you say this is sin and you are blameless when you judge. We all judge according to our righteousness. So we're going too easy on some, sometimes we're too easy on people. Sometimes we're too harsh on people. Do you know why that's the case? Because we are not God and we don't get it right. Okay, so sometimes I've been way too hard on people when they've sinned. And sometimes I've been way too permissive to friends when they've sinned. And I don't get it right. But how many know that God gets it right? And it says, you are blameless when you judge, Lord. Now go to verse 10. Here's our prayer. This is a prayer that's helped me a lot. God, create a clean heart for me. Renew a steadfast spirit. I love that, that idea of steadiness, that idea of devotion. Make me devoted, God. Make me consistent. Make me steady. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11, do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. Sustain me, this is what I need, by giving me a willing spirit. I've repented of sin before because I didn't want the consequences. But when I'm really walking in repentance, I'm saying, God, I repent of my sin. Now make me willing to walk in repentance. Because sometimes I'm not a willing participant. I'm just like, God, I understand you're smarter than me. And I understand that I'm wrong. But Lord, I like this. Or I like my anger. Or I like my rebellion. Or I like whatever the case is. But no, no, Lord, make me willing to walk in your ways. These are, this is a good psalm, isn't it? This is a good psalm to, to embody, not just to read, but just to, to, to just saturate and let that word get in you. The recognition of sin is an act of God's love because the recognition of sin turns us to him. So sin is not... Recognizing something as sin is not a negative because Jesus always has a pathway to forgiveness. He always turns us back to him. Yesterday was uh, Luke's birthday. So we had a family gathering for him. My mom, she came and sat by me and said, I've got something to show you here. And she got out that old, one of those old photograph uh, envelopes and had a stack of pictures that were taken the day Luke was born 19 years ago. 
So some of those pictures ended up on Beth's Facebook. She tagged me, so they're on mine. So if you get bored with the sermon, you can go look at those pictures, I guess. Everybody's getting their phone out now. So what was, what was great is I had not seen these pictures in who knows when. It had been well over a decade, maybe closer to, to 19 years. I hadn't seen these pictures at all. I mean, they were kind of lost, but they really weren't lost because mom had been keeping them the whole time. And so you've been there before too, is when you've lost something and you find it again and it's like, oh, I had it all along, but now it's like getting it all over again. And so these pictures were fresh and they were new, even though they were 19 years old and, and it was a totally new experience for us. Here's, here's my second exchange. Through losing comes keeping. This doesn't make sense. We're trying to keep everything. Now, no, through losing your life, you actually keep your life. Look at verse 25. Jesus said, the one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's a very attention-grabbing Phrase, But it's, it's reminding us that if we love the 110 years we may get in this life and we just love our wealth and we love our experience and we love our legacy and we, and we love um, our ability to follow our own desires and we want our name remembered. And so, you know, it's on a plaque somewhere or maybe if some of you are lucky enough, you can have a building named after you as if we cared what those buildings were named at any kind of college any of us may have attended or like anyone even knows what their elementary school, who he was actually named after or or who it was named after or whatever the case is. But we may have our name remembered. And so so we, we love our life so much. We want our name remembered and we want our wealth to accumulate and we want to have experiences in our bucket list before we leave. And we love our life but then we lose the true life. Or if we begin to look beyond the 110 years we may get and we look into eternity and we look into what it's gonna be like when we're with God forever and we understand that it doesn't matter the things that preoccupy us and the things that we obsess over in comparison to eternity, it doesn't matter because eternity, guys, it doesn't start when you breathe your last breath on this earth, the day you realize who Jesus is and you cross the line of faith, or you ask Christ into your heart, or you understand his message, and it's not just a get out of hell kind of card, it's like a reality in your life. It's then when eternity starts. Eternity starts here and it extends into glory with God forever and ever. This is why we live not for this life. We keep losing in this life because we're gaining to the next. Later on today, you can look at Psalm 119. For the sake of time, we won't look at it today. But I think about this church. One of the greatest days of my life was when this church voted me as pastor. Had to go out into the parking lot. Me and Beth had to sit out there while you guys voted on me. Uh, 13 years ago, and then I got a call on my cell phone, and the guy joked with me. He's like, oh, you didn't make it. And I was like, what? He said, just kidding. It was unanimous. I was like, come on, man. Come on. So 
that was one of the greatest days of my life. And, and that's a whole story we have. We went from, you know, being at Station Camp Middle School within six days later, you know, we, we were in this church or seven days later, we were in this church in this building here. It was just an awesome experience. You know what I have to do often as I drive up that, that driveway, I say, Lord, this is your church, your property, it's your building. I stand here in the middle of the sanctuary and say, this is your sanctuary. This is not mine. This is not mine. It was, I get to steward this and shepherd these people for this era. And I hope it's a long era. I hope it's a long era. I mean, I just bought a new house, guys, a year, a year less than a year ago. So I'm, I'm looking long-term here. But, but this is temporary. I'm an under-shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. And so, guys, if I try to hold on to this congregation, hold on to you guys, hold on to the church. You're not mine. The church is not mine. It's the Lord's. And I, I get to manage that. And so that principle applies. We can't hold on to stuff. We got to keep giving it to the Lord. Keep giving it to him. And when we give it to him, he has a better reward for us. When we talk about this world, think about how we advance in this world. It's through networking. It's through who you are seen with. It's through connections. It's through schmoozing with folks. I mean, now we live in an era where you're famous for being famous. So like we care about people just because they're seen in the right place, like the royal family. They're famous because they have a Netflix show about them now, right? I mean, they are inconsequential to everyone's life in this room. So you can only, you can only have to care for the royal family as much as you wanna care for the royal family. I mean, if you choose to, that's fine, but you don't have to unless you want to. Um, there's a bunch of college students who are putting a leather ball in, in a hoop and a silver hoop. And a lot of you care about that quite a bit. Some of you don't care at all. If you don't care at all, you're gonna have a lot more time the next three weeks by not caring. But for those who care, it's gonna take up a lot of time. You choose what you care about. So we know this is that, that in this world, it's about like who you're connected with, who you're seen with, timing. And, and, and I will say this is that unfortunately it can be that way in the church sometimes because the church doesn't always function in the kingdom of God. Sometimes the church functions in a worldly way, but in the kingdom of God, service is what promotes us and service is what advances us, not just the earthly technology. That's the exchange one. Through service comes access. That's the exchange. When you serve in the kingdom of God, you access the presence of God. You get to the CEO, the chief executive officer, not because you network, but because you serve. Look at verse 26 of John 12. Jesus said this, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Now look at that line right now. Where I am, there my servant also will be. So the presence of God shows up when we serve. And I want to encourage you to do something if you haven't done it before. Serve without telling anybody, whether it's volunteering time or volunteering money or volunteering expertise. And don't put it on Instagram for once. Now, you know, we put the story of our church on Instagram, but how many know that when I get my likes or when I get my loves, I've got my reward? To really serve is when you do the work of Jesus without personal benefit. And when we look for those opportunities, that's where his presence is. And I want to encourage you 
to look for those opportunities in the next few weeks, the next few months even. A chance to help someone without anyone else finding out. The chance to boost someone along the way without everyone saying, oh man, you're such a great lady. You're such a great guy for doing that. No, you're just doing that. And watch what happens. You won't get recognition and you won't get accolades and you may not even get a earthly promotion, but you know what you will get? You'll get the presence of Jesus. You'll get this sense that God says, I'm right there. I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I'm right there in you. Service gives us access to Jesus. Service gives us access to royalty. Service gives us access to the chief executive officer of the cosmos. That's what service does. I gotta move this thing along. Here's the fourth exchange. Through obedience comes glory. Through obedience comes glory. Obedience doesn't feel good all the time. Sometimes obedience it's painful. Sometimes obedience costs us. Sometimes obedience is, is something we don't want to do. But when we are obedient, we position ourselves for the glory of God. Look at verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, Jesus said this. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The glory of God comes through our obedience. Guys, listen, if God is calling you to not hang around a group of people because that group of people causes you to drink too much alcohol or to smoke something that's illegal and you have an alcohol problem, you have a drug problem, and, and you should not hang around a group of people who are pushing you to do that. Do you know what it will cost you? It will cost you a lonely weekend. And it may cost you several lo- lonely weekends. And in the middle of that, you may feel like, oh, obedience is suffering and obedience is painful. I listened to a podcast this week, a secular podcast, and it said evangelical Christians who are not married, uh, a high percentage of them are cohabitating before marriage. And there was even one really popular couple who started cohabitating after engagement, but before marriage. And and that's been my experience in premarital counseling. Almost every couple is cohabitating now. And and we deal with that and say, hey, let's fix it. We're, we're, We're headed towards marriage. And I at least acknowledge that, you know, don't just ignore it. But guys, it's wrong. I mean, it's wrong to do that. Do you know what it's going to cost you if you decide not to cohabitate before you marry? And this may be in your future. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you two electric bills, two water bills, two mortgages. But the glory of God can come on your marriage if you choose to to obey and do what's right, even though it costs you. You watch the glory of God come in your marriage. You watch what God does. You can read Hebrews chapter five, verse seven through nine later. Well, let's just go ahead and read it. During his earthly life, Jesus, he, Jesus offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Look at verse eight. Although he was the son and look, it's capitalized like the Messiah. He learned obedience from what he suffered. 
And I just want you to know, it's okay if you have to suffer a little bit for Jesus. Guys, you're gonna be okay. And I'm gonna tell you something, the relationships will come back in your life, the money will come back in your life, the promotions will come back in your life, the opportunities will come back in your life. You trust that the Lord's way is the right way for you. And even though it costs you in the temporary, temporal, it costs you in the today, it will bring more of God's glory in your tomorrow. Here's the last thing I wanna say, is through the cross comes repentance. Through the cross comes repentance. Listen, I know that the cross is such a beautiful symbol to us today. Uh, Some of us wear it as jewelry. I used to wear a big cross around my neck when I was in my 20s, and I don't know why I did. I just thought it was cool and had this big cross, and all these people question me all the time about it, but I wore a cross. I've been in some of your homes and you'll have like beautiful crosses, like in your kitchen, in your hallway. All that's great, man, all that's great. But you know, we forget the cross was an execution mechanism. So it'd be like today, the electric chair, the firing squad, lethal injection, drugs. And through the cross comes repentance through something very difficult through pain, through death, through suffering comes repentance. Earlier in chapter 12, you can look at it, Jesus referred to Moses. And he said, you know, when Moses put up the specific symbol that God told him, and people were getting bit by snakes back in the book of Numbers, people looked to the symbol and they were healed. And this is what was foreshadowing what Jesus would do when he went to the cross. Look at verse 32. Jesus said this, as for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was about to die. So this is, this is not just, this is clear connection. It's not just inference here. It was a clear connection that if Jesus is lifted up in the cross, that's when people repent. And I just want to say this as we come to a closing, when Jesus is proclaimed, when Jesus is emphasized, when Jesus is understood, when Jesus is known, then repentance occurs. And that's who we are. We are people of repentance that keep turning to Jesus. I want to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to respond to this message today. And Pastor Aubrey spoke over you earlier. And uh, we, we did not coordinate that until we had a little five-minute meeting before service. And what the Holy Spirit was speaking to him was already speaking to me. He already did this once as one of your pastors. Now I do it as your pastor. I'm calling you today to repentance. I'm calling you to repentance. We, we offer the Lord's Supper every week and we emphasize something different about it. Last week I emphasized healing, like there's healing in the Lord, in the Eucharist, in the Lord's Supper. But today the message has told us there's repentance when we go to the table of the Lord. And so some of you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, I mean, all of you, I'm gonna ask you, to come to the Lord in repentance today. At this church, this is how we do communion. Every single person who believes in Jesus is welcome to take communion. Not all of you have to take communion. Sometimes Christians have good reasons to take communion. And for practical reasons, it's rare that I take communion in both services just because we're managing the service and so forth. But you're not required to, but you're welcome to. And we'll have a time of repentance. You can come to the front and let me explain that. Um, we will dismiss you row by row. One of our leaders will, will dismiss you. Jason Ashworth, he'll be coming. And, and then Pastor Chip, you can put out your hand like this and he'll put the bread in your hand. And then you can come to the center and uh, I will offer a cup if you want to take communion by intention, by dipping the bread into the cup. 
Or if that's not your preference, Beth will offer the smaller cups, the smaller plastic cups. Or you may have picked up one of those packets when you came in today. And if that's the case, you can take communion there where you're standing when your heart is ready and some won't take it all. Um, Let's pray. We'll consecrate these to the Lord. Father, we come now. We consecrate these elements to you. Lord, your body, your blood. We believe there's real presence in this blood, real presence in this body, in this bread. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us. And Lord, we come to your table in repentance. We turn from our sins and we turn to you. Lord, may the bread and the cup, both here at the front and both in the packets that people have either already um, put in their hands or will be getting in a moment, may the body and blood of Jesus be life to us. Now, if you want to join me in this prayer of repentance, it'll be on the screen now. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all of the world.